Hello and welcome to LOPR after a few days. This was a, uh, yeah, this is IMSA LOP Radio Adventure with a little bit of a special working off of a Laws of Pain Radio Aftershock this past Sunday. But I thought, instead of just kind of moving on to the next thing, I thought that after a few days of thinking it over that I'd actually go back and like kind of See what my thoughts are now, a few days after Hell in a Cell, with that fiend Rollins match that had the whole wrestling world talking, that had loads of people coming into the chat on Sunday. If you are listening live, same can be happened here. Send me a chat. I'll hopefully remember to look at it and then go through before we take an ad break or before the end of the show. I'm not I'm not normally good at those things. Sunday I was, <laughs> which is... Really convenient, because that's like the most listened to show since we've moved to Spreaker here on uh, Laws of Pain Radio, so it was uh, a little bit insane seeing those numbers just like shoot up. <laughs> it's like, yeah, quite a few listen live. Uh, don't know why. So yeah, so thank you to everybody. Even the guy called me a lemming. <laughs> it was like, uh, I've not been called a lemming in a while. <laughs> it was, uh, of all the insults I was expecting from me moaning about uh, the, the ending of a wrestling show, Lemming wasn't up there, I'll be honest. <laughs> it really wasn't. But anyway, so the plan for tonight is to go back over mostly the main event and my thoughts and what have WWE done... Oh, I can't really say that. What have WWE done since uh, Hell in a Cell to kind of maybe combat the backlash? What was their kind of tactic moving forward? Uh, keeping in mind there is the draft reset. Even Corey Graves after Hell in a Cell was like, oh... Well, maybe it's like some like we need a some if only we needed a reset or something something like that. <laughs> you can tell by me stuttering all over the place. I've not put that in my notes. I've completely forgotten what he said. Oh well, but Corey Graves did make that point. <laughs> now it's just like so it was purposefully shit. <laughs> I don't quite understand the logic of that one, <laughs> especially on a week where there was so much attention. So I guess I'm doing like a much calmer backdrop look at it. Um, it does a context. I was live myself. I've not introduced myself. This is a good time. Matt Mayer, aka the Implications. You can follow me on Twitter at the Damn Implicat. My columns are Imps Wrestling Adventures, which currently go up on Laws of Pain every Saturday, going looking at the past week of uh, wrestling, like Raw, NXT, AEW, and SmackDown on Fridays. Don't know why I did such a dramatic pause, but yes, yeah, goes out on Saturdays. I'm live here every Thursday with Imps LP Radio Adventure, and I'm also the Aftershock guy for. Currently, WWE filling in for Stephen Bell, and also I am the other half of the AEW Aftershock, so as you can tell by my voice, I'm English, this is mental. And this is also partly why I'm doing this show today, because when I went live on Sunday, when I say immediate reactions, I mean, at 3.20, I had no idea what I was going to say, I was literally speechless. <laughs> uh, a roller coaster of emotions had just been had and I was getting the show ready because I was live at half past so I had 10 minutes to get the show ready get the image get everything put it up and yeah like 
ten minutes when you were speechless out of pure shock at kind of like what have I just witnessed? <laughs> like, then to go live within ten minutes. Yeah, like, I feel sorry for the guys who are live streaming it. Like uh, over here in the UK, obviously we've got loads of live streamer guys like Vessel Talk, called Holic right at the top. We had loads. Like, if you just go to YouTube, there are so I just listed, I just named the top two, but there's <laughs> way more than that <laughs> that were watching it live streaming, live streaming things. I feel sorry for them trying to be entertaining during it, just because I was genuinely just speechless. So luckily, I had those ten minutes to kind of recoup myself and get in. But I've not listened back to the show. I've not had the heart to do it. Not the heart. I've not had the balls to do it <laughs> in a way. <laughs> so I probably will at some point. It's kind of like yeah, it's the it's the best uh, best drawing show we've had so far. But obviously, that is more down to WWE fecking it up <laughs> to put it nice and calmly. Yes. So I thought I'd come back. A few days later, when I'm a lot calmer, when I've thought it over, when I've seen WWE the next day, what have they done? Because quite often, like perception, not of the pay-per-view, but of the company, can kind of calm down a bit <laughs> after that little bit of time, I guess, in between Monday Night Raw and Sunday. By the end of Raw come Tuesday, and then people are looking now to AW and NXT, things have died down. And really when the focus is taken off, like main roster WWE... And then you look back at Hell in a Cell, because of course now we've just had AEW and NXT. Uh, also this show is a little bit of a mask, because I've not had the time to watch NXT. So it's just me hiding the fact that I've not watched it, and just wound back the clock as <laughs> wound the clock all the way and just not going to talk about it. <laughs> it's a really, I'm, I'm really smart that way. And next week I'm doing New Japan. So, got a special guest on everyone, everything, because it's, it's King of Pro Wrestling, I think that's right. And next Monday it's King of Pro Wrestling. Uh, yeah, Monday, a weird day for it, but turns out on the Sunday when it probably would normally be airing, there's uh, Japan in their last uh, Rugby World Cup group match, where if they win, they qualify for the quarterfinals. Don't know if they're already qualified, but I think this is if they win, they qualify uh, for the first ever quarterfinals and in, like Rugby World Cup in Japan, so in Tokyo as well, same city that <laughs> the New Japan show is taking place, so yeah, it's... Yeah, I'm perfectly fine. Yeah, perfectly fine to move that to Monday. Then <laughs> makes it makes all the sense in the world. If you want to draw a show, you don't do it slap right when it's a match is taking place in your home nation with your home team playing to with their biggest success. So it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Monday makes sense. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing next week. While I'm plugging that, <laughs> so I was going to give a backdrop to Hell in the Cell before really jumping to it, just like the context of the week and what people were like the mindset kind of was going into Hell in a Cell because last week of course there were lots of eyes on the product AW's uh, TNT debut uh, NXT's full two hour debut uh, WWE Friday Night Smackdown debuts on Fox Monday Night Raw season premiere it was a big week for wrestling over here in the west so it's seen so lots of eyes were on the product more than you would normally get uh, uh, Smackdown got over 3 million I have no idea what's good in terms of Fox average because I know their reach is massive. Like Over here in the UK, obviously, our country's the size of Florida. Couldn't ever dream <laughs> of the numbers you can get in America. But, yeah, it's... Yeah, so I know Fox has got an amazing reach, so I don't know what number is deemed good or what would what people are expecting to be the average for SmackDown because they do over 3 million. I think it's around 3.5, which is... 1 million over USA, which was one mil- which was just under 1 million over AEW. Uh, 
So the feeling that lots of people are tuned in for wrestling. I've not seen the raw numbers for this week, but I know that AEW this week. I've not seen NXT. Oh, I have seen NXTs. NXTs dropped to high seven hundred thousands. So let's round it up to eight hundred thousand because it's like seven nine something. Then AEW drew one point. It's one point zero something. However, uh, just over a hundred thousand of those went to a different channel because there was a chance the baseball was going to overrun. So they, not the baseball. Was it baseball? It was a chance that. Something was going to overrun. I don't know American sports. Something was go- some sporting event where you do something with balls <laughs> that was going to uh, possibly overrun. So they uh, publicly put out that AW will be broadcasting on his other channel. When you do that, that pretty much guarantees that some people are probably not going to see your later tweets, or they'll just tune back to the sports. Go, oh, okay, then, and then go to this other channel. Uh, just over a hundred thousand people did that. I think it was one hundred and twenty thousand. So really. We're looking at, uh, I, want, I want to say it was like 140,000 or something like that. So 1,140,000 tuned in to AW this week, which is just below a, I want to, oh, just below 300,000, looking at 200 or something thousand. I don't know why I'm doing live maths. <laughs> the, point, the point I'm trying to make is more eyes were on wrestling last week than they will be normally. And that was maybe echoed this week. I don't know... I've not, not seen raw numbers, but I know NXTs and uh, AEWs both dropped. I don't know how much sports where you do things with balls <laughs> affected uh, the ratings for both shows, or if it was just a big week of wrestling, so more people tuned in. Uh, I don't know. Debuts of things as well, like everything was debuting, a premier week for, of course, of Raw as well. That'll bring in more than normal. Uh, AEW, we have no idea what the average is going to be. Beforehand, like this time a couple of weeks ago, I was like, yeah, 600,000. I assume they'd be really happy if they get like 600,000. Then they'd bloody get 1.4. <laughs> I was nowhere near. <laughs> Not even, I wasn't even halfway <laughs> to, what, to what they got. So that was kind of like a mind-blowing moment. And then I was like, oh, maybe it'll drop like quite drastically this next week. So I was like, oh, maybe it could even drop to a, what NXT kind of got in their earlier stages where you're looking closer to 900,000 or so. And they dropped to, well, as we found out, like almost uh, 1.14 on the ratings. So again, I was horribly wrong. <laughs> They're still doing much better than I was expecting. So, And I even raised my expectations by like 300,000. I was like, no, let's go up a bit. It's like, no. So still, they're overachieving what I'm predicting, but I feel like I'm being pessimistic compared to other people. Well, I must be. Uh, but yeah, still... Really good numbers still. I'm, assu- I'm assuming they're really good numbers, especially as we do not know what the average is going to be. Uh, 1.4 felt highly impressive. Who knows why they didn't tune in? Uh, there's like 300,000 people. Either way, the po- <laughs> I'm drifting mildly away-, away from my point. The point was going into Hell in a Cell. There's a lot of eyes on the wrestling world. And the final note of this week, because you heard it during the week that like everyone's really excited for like the television week of wrestling, but it was in the back of people's minds just like, oh my god, at the end of the week, we're likely to be seeing The Fiend walking out of Hell in a Cell as the Universal Champion. And it was just that thought in people's heads, it's just like, just to cap off a momentous week in wrestling, you end with that visual with such an interesting character that's generated such buzz. It's the one character in WWE we WWE, which had so much success, that he's kind of looked at as quite possibly the hottest wrestler or hottest act in wrestling. Even if you take in 
AEW or the popularity of New Japan over in the US, like the Fiend was still seen as quite possibly the most popular character. All they had to do <laughs> was put on a decent Hell in a Cell match. However, it turns out they put themselves into a corner, and that's kind of where I'm going to go on. I'm going to like focus mostly on the main event. Uh, on Sunday, I did like 40 minutes just pure ranting about the Fiend of Bay White. This time, more, I guess, analytical and looking at what WWE have done since as well. So it's not going to be quite as ranty. There's not really much point spending much time on the rest of the card because I do want to give the, their dues to the rest of the card. So, as we know, momentous week of wrestling, the card starts with Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks in a really innovative Hell in a Cell match. They had this, uh, I guess, wouldn't say blood feud, but yeah, the hot rivalry going into, it was heated rivalry going into Hell in a Cell and it felt like it would it was worthy. It felt like it kind of deserved to be in this spot. And the match itself was innovative. I wouldn't say it was as brawly as I was expecting. However, there were lots of like awesome looking spots, <laughs> which was because I remember uh, Sasha Banks and Charlotte it was one of those matches that was magnificent. However, the tools around them didn't quite work how hundred percent how they liked. So this time it was nothing is going wrong. Even if it looks a bit too blatant that that table is smashed, we'll make it. We'll do an awesome like meteora off the top. I meant smashed. I meant a bit. Obviously, the table we smashed. <laughs> I meant a bit blatant that the table had been prepped to snap or something. Be like it doesn't matter if it looks cool. That's kind of my. That's my thing with wrestling. Who gives a shit if you if it looks a little bit weird? If it looks cool, yeah. <laughs> it's just the the Orange Cassidy thing. Just if it looks cool, then it's gonna work. It's wrestling. But yeah, so Banks vs. Lynch, highly innovative. Gotta give it his props. This show started off really hot. So just continuing that momentum from the past week, this the first two matches fit what had come before really well and the crowd were really into it. I at home was really enjoying myself. It was just like, oh, even though there's been some matches added, this is actually a really cool way to start the show with such momentum and pace. And it only continued with Reigns and Bryan versus Ronan Harper, which I also want to give the dues to. Because these first two, this pay-per-view can't possibly go down as one of the worst pay-per-views of all time because of these first two matches. And like the rest of the card, there was nothing awful with it, but there wasn't really much to distinguish it from a Monday Night Raw where they've given time to some of the matches. Like It was nothing amazing to write home about. However, these first two were. And this is why like, Hell in a Cell, especially looking at it a few days later when I've calmed down, there's no way in hell that it's anywhere near my worst pay-per-views list. It is near, like, the top of my worst booking decisions <laughs> in WWE. Like, 100% it's right, it's in that conversation, but as a pay-per-view? No, I don't even know if I call it the worst pay-per-view of the year. Because the rest of the card isn't that bad. It's mostly forgettable outside the first two matches, but it's not bad. <laughs> I wasn't bored all the way through with it. It was perfectly fine. Again, nothing amazing, but then... Nothing horrific until we get to the main event. So again, can't make it too low. There's been much worse <laughs> over the time to kind of put it uh, a different way. But then we do get to the main event. And yes, it's not great. So on Sunday, I was just talking about... I, I just could not believe they were this stupid was the general consensus I had at the time. I was kind of in... I wouldn't say shock, but I was in stunned silence at disbe- in disbelief 
It's like, have they, I can't b- believe <laughs> that they've done that. And like since then, I've kind of looked back on it. And so now it's Thursday. And on Sunday, I may have just been completely shocked. However, now, after thinking on it for a few days, it's still utter shite. <laughs> like, it's the more I think about it, the worse it, the decision to do what they did becomes. And I've, I've watched loads of other people. Like, I'm not somebody watches or listening listens to the uh, Observer Radio that often, if at all, really. Um, however, this week I did listen in and... For both the Alvarez and the guy who's not Meltzer, the other one, <laughs> and for Alvarez and Meltzer's chats, they both raised some really important points, and some of them quite funny. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, that's a really good point. But yeah, some of the points they raised, I did actually, I was like, that is quite an important point. But for me, the biggest one, which was uh, the one that I laughed at the most, was uh, the big mallet that the Fiend got out. That big mallet, which the fiend pulled out, was perfectly fine. Seth Rollins even did a stomp on it. The smaller sledgehammer. That's too. Think what you're doing, Colby. <laughs> he says, "Listen, stop it. What are you doing?" And then bash. <laughs> it's just like ah. Oh. It's kind of like every instrument by themselves, perfectly fine. Oh, I think uh, I heard. Oh, I want to say this one was from Messel Talk, where they were saying like it's like a cheat code in a video game. Where if you press all the buttons in a certain order, then that's not allowed. No, <laughs> you can't do that. Like the cheat code of ladder, chair, and if I swing hedgehammer with, sledgehammer with this much force, then it will... Okay, th- now the code's entered. <laughs> it's like, no. Oh, that was kind of funny. And of course, we're in a world where sledgehammers have been used in the Hell in a Cell matches by Triple H how many times? Which <laughs> is just hilarious. Like a, the visual of a... Bleeding to death, Vince McMahon in, I want to say the year was 2000 and, when was that? I want to say 2006. I feel like it was DX versus uh, the two McMahons. So it must be 2006, like summer 2006 or towards the other end. So that's not Attitude Era. We're not talking 20 years ago. We're talking like just over 10. So uh, that that maybe become a bit relevant later. But yeah, it was like, this is a weapon which has got history in this cell, and quite a bit of it. <laughs> like, it's not unheard of to be using it, but that's what I found. Also, with this, just the point they made on Observer Radio, it's like, wait a minute, but the Fiend had his massive mallet, which is like a much bigger sledgehammer. <laughs> and that was perfectly fine. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> it just, uh, uh. Okay, so that was, I want to get to back to the specifics a bit, but in terms of the reason why I thought... So if you take out all of the little, I guess, quirks and things which I may not have agreed with, the the rhythm of the match where I was into it at first and then stuff started happening, I was like, well, I wouldn't, do, I wouldn't have done that, but I'm not throwing my toys out the pram yet. And then it kind of just built and built and built to a point where I wasn't throwing my toys out the pram, more just... I had them in my hand and I just dropped them. <laughs> just mouth, just mouth aghast. <laughs> just like, ah. <laughs> so it was weird. Uh. But for me, the biggest kind of breaking point for me was when you think about the build over the summer. So this is what I've thought about a bit more since then. The build over the summer for Bray Wyatt was, I wouldn't say slow, but they took the time with it. They invested. 
they took their time to explain this character, which for WWE is extremely complex. I think I personally preferred it when it was like um, the family, not the family funhouse, the Firefly funhouse was kind of in Ray Wyatt's head, essentially. As in, this is how he's trying to cope with all of the issues of the past, and the fiend is what he actually is. And the Firefly Funhouse is kind of just in his mind, and we're essentially seeing that. However, in WWE, this after, if, that is way too abstract. Of course, people will start asking, well, how can we see it then? <laughs> we're just, that, will, that question will arise, and when the character gets to be taken more and more seriously, the, essentially the Firefly Funhouse has materialised, <laughs> and is a real-world thing now. And people can interact with it, and I'm perfectly fine with it. It's also led to Bray Wyatt going on to news channels in America and like doing the weather and things, and just talking to the uh, people in the in the studio. And it's brilliant. <laughs> if you've not seen Firefly Funhouse Bray interacting with the news in America, just do it. Google it. It'll, it'll come up on YouTube. It's brilliant. <laughs> so I'm perfectly down for like yeah, the Firefly Funhouse materialising and not being what I first saw it as because. That way, the way I saw it as was extremely complex for WWE and was a really interesting new idea. Not as easy to market. And if the Fiend does need to become a like bigger character, then what essentially what Firefly, Fire, oh, I say it, Firefly Funhouse Bray has done, where he has essentially materialised and he's going on to these uh, news shows and things. Yeah, I guess it's and then putting it over as a split personality rather than like. In his head, he's one thing, but in reality, he's this kind of thing. Well, he seems to know about the fiend as well, which is a lot more different from, I guess, other split personality things where they've done before, like Kane and not knowing he's Kane manager Glenn Jacob. My bloody hell, <laughs> my mouth is turned off tonight. Ugh. But yeah, so I'm perfectly fine with that. But in terms of the build of the summer, they did that nice and slowly. It kind of got across the different points of the character, introducing more quirky stuff. He got him interacting with all the different puppets. Then he had his uh, feud with Finn Balor, which established the Fiend as this creature to be feared. Uh, but Finn Balor's job was essentially just to sell the fear, uh, put in a good fighting effort, ground him, and then just completely fail when the Fiend kind of wakes up and destroys him. That was perfect for me. The character was building so such momentum that SummerSlam really... like People were saying how great the depth of the Firefly Funhouse segments were. And they, then they started showing... Because, of course, we got that first. Like, well, that was weird. <laughs> Just showing the child the TV show things. This is new gimmick. Then they started flashing the Fiend on the screen a few weeks later. It's just like, oh, he's actually completely broken. He's worse than he's ever been. He's a pure monster now. As in, what we were seeing... He is not that. And I love that idea. <laughs> Just the way they got it built it up, it was so, so good. Then we get to SummerSlam, and it's kind of... It's with a comma rather than a full stop, but it's stamped that this is a character with the momentum acknowledged, and they're going to continue to build him up. And it's just at that point, it's still perfect. Even after SummerSlam, the build was still at such a pace that it was perfect for the Fiend. He attacked like Joey Lawler. He was attacking people, like, mostly, I guess, retired wrestlers, but he would turn up and attack people. And it was just, it kind of pop whenever it happened. Especially because he was a character you didn't see every week. They made him feel special. They, yes, they had him to Firefly Funhouse, but you didn't always see the Fiend. You very rarely saw the Fiend, actually. Like, once a month, maybe, if that. And for me, that's the best part about the build. 
where the fiend was rare. When he turned up, he felt special. Apparently, that was the idea, that they wanted him to feel special, and they completely nailed it. And in this time, because of the amount of depth in the stories with Bray Wyatt making his entire career relevant, <laughs> which is, in terms of, like, in WWE's world, there's a massive habit of, you'll have your feud here, but your the universe uh, for a long time just felt like passing ships. Uh, now I will say they're not in that state. They have started interacting a lot more, but it reached its peak over the summer, where it was the two weeks of canon, kind of was the rule, where you had no idea what to get invested in because you had no idea what would last. Some things lasted longer than others. But in this period, The Fiend was making his entire career relevant, which had also had that, this is your storyline, once it ends, you'll move on to the next thing. There's not much of a flow. Uh, some people... Not everybody's like that, but with Bray Wyatt, it kind of felt like that mostly because they didn't really... It was evident they didn't know what to do with him long-term. So when one of his feuds ended, it was like a clear, well, what do we do next? And he will turn up when he, we've got something for him. And that kind of creates a jarring thing over time, and he loses all of his feuds, <laughs> which really didn't help. Uh, yeah, but his run on SmackDown was great. That elevated him before WrestleMania, so... <laughs> I remember Orton Wyatt at WrestleMania after such a great year on SmackDown. I always think back to that WrestleMania where so many wrestlers were made on SmackDown over that year. When you think about Bray Wyatt, Dean Ambrose, AJ Styles, and by the time and The Miz as well, and by the time WrestleMania came about, so many of them were just eh. Dean Ambrose on the pre-show, Bray Wyatt lost the title. Uh, AJ Styles won, but it was against Shane McMahon in the opener. Weird. The Miz lost to John Cena at WrestleMania in a tag match that was a weird one because the the build was so damn good and then the match itself was just like a fun mid-card match so eh I don't be sure <laughs> Dolph Ziggler where was he yeah. point being <laughs> I'm drifted again yeah. point being Bray Wyatt made his entire career relevant in a world which doesn't have much consistency or at least consistent consistency because of course there is some consistency and especially over the summer where it was at its peak worst the Fiend was just every single week slowly building and building and he was slowly becoming the most interesting thing in WWE because because of the amount of depth in his character was uh, brilliant and fantastic and it was really meta as well which uh, obviously not everybody loves something being meta but when it's like one act like this and he's <laughs> the way he's doing it it's like yes it's brilliant it's fantastic then we get to Clash of Champions so this for me, is where the mistake is made. Not at Hell in a Cell. Hell in a Cell is a culmination of the, I guess, you've, you've all, here is where the road was set to go down. So they realised, at Hell in a Cell, you have got, uh, you've got a massive Hell in a Cell, and you've got this incredibly white-hot act, which, even though the, like lots of people were down on WWE, they were really hot on The Fiend. This is something they could bank upon. They could easily sell out Hell in a Cell with The Fiend if he was there. As far as I know, they did. So, I guess, good on business for that. Uh, the issue is, he'd only had one match. And he was, if you're in your slowly explaining, slowly building process, The Fiend should never have been in this match. And there was a lot of talk like, before it was announced that, it's like, yeah, I look forward to the match and The Fiend in the Hell in a Cell is hell of a prospect. But you can always do that next year. You can continue to slowly build the fiend and make sure he becomes that star. But uh, it's, one of, yeah, it's one of those things at that time where it's like, we just assumed if you put the fiend in Hell in a Cell, that's because you're making him champion. Well, not Hell in a Cell, you know what I mean? If, if it's for the Universal title, you're making him champion. 
The way to get round that in a way is don't make it for the title. Then you can still do Seth versus The Fiend and you can have whatever ending you want. But the fact it was for the title and this was a character which had such momentum that everyone just assumed, well not everyone, most people, me included, just assumed they were going to be banking on this white hot star, striking whilst the iron is hot and making an act which is extremely different, their champion, going into this new era. So they have Bray Wyatt attack Seth Rollins at Clash of Champions. And it's an amazing moment. The crowd get really into it. I myself was like, oh, shit, we're getting Rollins versus Wyatt. <gasps> and then over the weeks, The Fiend would attack Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins' acting wasn't always the best. <laughs> the, the week of the squee, <laughs> I call it, where he's just in the corner going, ah! Uh, that wasn't his best acting, but yeah. It was actually just meant to be studying the fact that it's fear to a point of becoming primal and just like barking at it like was something to scare it away and the fiend with his attacks on the other people that weren't Seth Rollins essentially just telling them like no he's mine it's like oh, I love that I with uh, Bray Wyatt as well talking about sharing his caring it's like oh it was brilliant it was building perfectly but it's still in the back of my mind does he actually need to be in this match and when it was just a rumour at Clash of Champions that was like a question quite a few people were talking about. It was just that topic of, well, does The Fiend actually need the title? Is he a character that really needs it? Because the main comparison for an act like this would be The Undertaker back in the 90s, where they gave him a year-long undefeated streak before really making him a full-on champion. I think that was a... Again, I wasn't born till 92. <laughs> so I am not. I, I can't quite remember from what I've looked back on what it actually was. And I can't be asked to do it now because I'd need to close all the stuff I got up. Point being, <laughs> with uh, The Fiend, did he need the title? It was an interesting topic. Personally, I think no. Just continue to build him. You can make him champion later down the line. Now he's his second match. You can continue to build the character. Yes, he's got a lot of momentum, so he should probably be a higher up the card act, maybe. He could even do it inside Hell in a Cell, which would mean Seth Rollins wouldn't be. Uh, and obviously they want Seth Rollins to continue main event in these matches so maybe that's a bit of a sticker but you don't have to have it inside Hell in a Cell maybe even you could have this ending with Bray Wyatt violently attacking Rollins but then comes the other thing so they book the match they're doing a really good build in this time the news really starts to circulate about what stars Fox might be wanting so we'd all suspected the big ones like Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns like the biggest stars in WWE probably Becky Lynch as well like they go over to Friday Night Smackdown on Fox. They want all the biggest stars. They'll get Rousey eventually. Word came out during the build telling the cell that one of those stars now that they wanted, but they had seen the popularity of The Fiend, they wanted The Fiend. And so, in my, <laughs> in my head, the one issue they've suddenly got, because if, it, if, the, if Fox didn't want The Fiend, so let me, let me try this again. If Fox did want The Fiend and they kind of announced that to WWE after they'd done the attack on Seth Rollins at Clash of Champions, suddenly you set up The Fiend in Hell in a Cell. Even if you wanted to, you can't make him Universal Champion because he's going to Fox. And the last thing you want is essentially, oh, we've been the wildcard rule, but we've still got people on other brands with the titles. <laughs> just to make it ultra confusing. You could even just keep him as champion for a while until like he's proper moved to SmackDown like, once they establish themselves, but I don't think that's how Fox are going to want to handle it. Like They want the biggest stars, and The Fiend is incredibly popular. Why not? 
as my voice slowly fades away. It was doing this an hour ago. The fact I had it for half an hour is incredible. <laughs> the magic of British tea. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So, if that was the case, then... Uh, however, there is one big point there that that isn't an issue if they don't do the angle at Clash of Champions. <laughs> this is the magic of wrestling. If you're not going to make Bray Wyatt your champion, don't book it. <laughs> Which is why there's like two scenarios in my head after thinking about it a few days. Scenario one, they saw the money, they went with it, and they've already they've already made a massive mistake because they're not going to make him champion. Or they went they booked this match and maybe they were planning to make him champion until Fox are like, no, we want him. Then you've got oh shit, we've made this match and we can't make him champion. What do we do? Oh, it's do we do we we do a fuck finish. So I don't know. Which one is true? I'll, I, in my head, it's kind of a, a lot more simple. Like maybe they even knew beforehand, because normally by the time it gets leaked to us, it's old news in like the world backstage anyway. But the uh, the, t- the likelihood is they already knew about the fox wanting the fiend. If that was the case, because of course he got showcased at SummerSlam as well. He was a massively hot. Thing. You go onto Twitter, you see people talking about the fiend. He was an overact. It was kind of impossible to miss. If you think about that, it was that way then it's like why did they book it <laughs> and that's why I'm saying it, the biggest mistakes weren't made at Hell in a Cell they were made at Clash of Champions that set everything in motion to then just fall apart in Hell in a Cell because of what they wanted to do so my biggest fix for all of this is don't book the match don't book the Fiend versus Seth Rollins for the title inside Hell in a Cell don't fall with the Fiend's second match. Just don't do it. <laughs> that simple. And if you are going to do it, you make the Fiend champion. And I've even tried to think of like other ways to maybe fix it. Because like, how would it have been the worst to just switch the roles that happened in the match? Like, for example, you do the exact same match, but you switch Seth Rollins' dominance with the Fiend kicking out to the Fiend's dominance with champion Seth Rollins kicking out. Uh, and, and instead of the little sledgehammer you get the big fuck off mallet (laughs) that that can end in DQ I guess Uh, and if the referee throws out the match after the Fiend does that the Fiend can then directly go into the angle you got directly go to the angle with the stretcher and the Fiend choking him out obviously you would have referees telling the Fiend to get back which they wouldn't do but you can work that in because I was just watching the match I was just like this is the wrong way round it would need a lot of tweaking for it to work the other way round but why is Seth Rollins the one dominating, destroying him? Like the only thing I can think of is the idea was that it was the Fiend bringing out the darkness in Seth Rollins to like an ultimate breaking point of what he did. The big issue for that is like why this match makes slightly less sense to me. Is you've kind of got the you got the show which really does break the world and storylines going on in WWE whenever it happens, and that's Saudi Arabia. Seth Rollins can't really sell the mental torment of this match because at October 31st he's on Team Hogan <laughs> in Saudi Arabia he's got to put his team together and represent them in Saudi Arabia so like next week I'm expecting him just to come out and just do stuff maybe they'll put him in a match to try and remind everybody why they like him or even or the opposite boot of just uh, maybe minorly feature him I don't know get the pop of his song I'm expecting him to get booed. Because for me, this was like a turning point on WWE. This didn't feel like other... It didn't feel like the Royal Rumble ones where it was... No, we're definitely going to watch. 
this felt much worse in terms of support for WWE. For me, the big difference is there is competition. Like, hardcore wrestling fans have a choice now, and you do not have to watch WWE. If, if you're somebody who watches WWE but the creative annoys you, there's now another promotion that might be to your liking. And if it is, then amazing. <laughs> You've got somewhere else to go, and kind of that can be your voice to WWE. It's just like, well, I'm not going to watch you on Monday or Friday, or maybe Wednesday. I'm not going to watch AEW because they're the person you support. If you don't like AEW, there's now NWA Power. There's now Impact as well. Even, like someone and New Japan Pro Wrestling, they're num- my number one promotion. Uh, I'll be covering them next week, uh, like taking a week off from WWE, which would be quite nice. But uh, or just America in general. But yeah, there's New Japan as well. There's so much variety that if WWE builds up the investment like they did and then just gone, doesn't matter, or they just ruined something you got you got invested into and that kind of makes you a little bit angry, there is somewhere else to go now. And for me, that made the really bad booking towards the end of this match, that made it an even worse decision. Just because, like, even if what the decision was, apparently there was a, a rumour going around that Vince McMahon was kind of laughing at it backstage and the way it came across on camera was like perfectly exactly what he was envisioning. So like as a management person, he'll be really happy with his workers, with his performers because they nailed what he wanted. But if he's laughing at the audience, can their reactions <laughs> just flat out booing it, chanting AEW, turning on the match, then that's not great. <laughs> Mostly because of the world they're now in where I don't think they can bank on all, everyone will just tune in next week. Like, I'm not a good example, because I'm one of those people that will speak out about something crap in WWE, and I was feeling really down Sunday, because I was just like, I've spent the last month building up my column where we watch the everything every week, but what if one or two of the shows are just shit and a chore through, a chore to get through? Like, I've been doing really well so far, the way that I've, I go into these shows in terms of, I'll enjoy them, but I'll try and not get invested. Uh, I broke that rule with The Fiend, and I felt like I got punished. So it's kind of that thing of, well, what if I don't flat out don't enjoy two of the shows? They become a chore, and I really don't want to watch them. <laughs> was that was that really a waste? Kind of building up the column like that, uh, and that was a weird. That was a thought on Sunday, which is why I was saying I was going to talk about Monday Night Raw. I'll do that in the second half with like the stuff WWE's done since the pay per view. But you heard it during the match. Every single time Seth Rollins went um, to do a big move and he got the momentum, the crowd booed, and then they booed more. Then when he hit like five curve stops in a row, they booed louder and louder. By the time it reached 11, they were starting to turn on it. They were like, he's going to win here. They were not really happy. The Fiend kicking out after the pedigree got like one of the biggest pops of the night. But then came like immediately after that came the kerfuffle with the chair, with the ladder, with the sledgehammer. Like, all three shots were vicious. All three shots were kind of like delivered with like force and him like, this would be my breaking point that ends the match. But each time the fiend just wasn't staying down, and it was the sledgehammer which still didn't. It kept, all the sledgehammer did was keep him down for a little while. And uh, on Twitter, I was talking to uh, the guest I had on last week, uh, Rance, aka Kayfabe Ray Cash <laughs> from Jairshot Radio. Uh, one of the conversations I was kind of having was the comparison to horror films. So, uh, so Ray Cash brought up horror films, and I was, I was kind of relating what I saw on Sunday to how I would relate it to a horror film. Uh, keeping in mind, I'm not a particularly brave boy. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of horror films. I can't play horror games. I I tried to play some horror games that were free on PlayStation Plus, and nope, can't. 
I played uh, one of the ones I did really well, uh, Outlast, that was it. I made it into the asylum, and then it told me to go down a corridor, and it did a jump scare, and then shortly after, a monster chased me into a cupboard. I immediately hid in the cupboard, paused the game, came off, <laughs> and never touched it since. <laughs> so I maybe made it like ten minutes into the game. <laughs> Which is further than I think I was expecting. So yeah. I'm not a brave boy. I don't really participate in Halloween. The closest I'll get are the uh, Jordan Peele movies, but they've got a lot to them, those movies. It's like, yeah. <laughs> like, I won't watch horror films. It's like, yeah, I can't do it. I'm not a brave boy. <laughs> but my comparison would be... Because there's a whole point of... It's like the horror film where you think you've got the monster down, you think you've taken him out, and then he just gets back up again. However... That it that happens at either one of two points. One is halfway through the film and then things immediately go to shit. Or it's right at the end of the film where things go to ultimate shit before everything's fixed. <laughs> or everything's better. Horror films often will do like a thing at the end to scare you. <laughs> kind of things like you think everything's solved. Oh wait, it's not. Oh, he's still out there. That kind of thing. But with it took me two weeks to get to be able to sleep again after watching Paranormal Activity. And I'm pretty certain me even just saying the name of that film now is guaranteed my not sleep tonight. <laughs> so I'm that brave. <laughs> so well done, mate. Uh, but yeah, with um, so with the monster being like strucken down, struck down, strict, strucken, strict. Oh, Jesus Christ, it's too late to have this dilemma. <laughs> with him struck down, let's go with that. With the fiend struck down, you're thinking, oh, I think I've got him, and then he rises again, which would be the sledgehammer from Seth Rollins. But they're doing that after the second match. So it's like they've uh, done the long introduction, which I guess would be the first 10-15 minutes. Done the first match, maybe you're like 20-25 minutes in. He's like, essentially with Finn Balor, that's the first person he's killed. And then he's killed a few... He's a major character, then he kills a few lesser thans, like around, uh, kind of lower down. And then his match with Seth Rollins... Seemingly has skipped the next 40 minutes, <laughs> in a way. Which is why I was like, continue to build him. Because he's taking down his first big victim and a couple of smaller ones. Before you get to the main player, you then have to go through with others. Like, <laughs> if I said, even if this is like the halfway point of the film, the, if, if how I'm picturing it, they're only like 20 minutes in. So there's still a lot missing in terms of the build of the character. They've just fast-forwarded through it, which is my, one of my main gripes with WWE, is they don't let anything build. or like, That's why Bray Wyatt, stu- Bray Wyatt would not have stood out if WWE didn't have an issue with rushing through builds. My prime example, Kevin Owens and the New Day, where, what was it, a week? Where people were just like, oh, it would have been amazing if you'd let that build and then Kevin Owens can turn. But no, they, it was like, it lasted one week and then it immediately turns. It's just like, well, what was the point in... Doing that, <laughs> it's just, that's why everything felt like the two weeks of canon, where you get set up one week, blow off the next, or you get two weeks where it's relevant and it might be dropped, it might not. Didn't happen with everything, or it's just from pay per view to pay per view in terms of someone like Kofi Kingston. Uh, and after the next pay per view, that last month doesn't matter, on to the next thing. So with Kevin Owens, he was in New Day, then the very next week he turned. Compared to what we saw here on uh, AEW this week, which I watched not that long ago because I'm English. So with uh, AW, you got the MJF moment where he comes out and he, the everybody's being beaten down, and then Cody is helped up by the uh, new stable 
where it's like Chris Jericho and I can't remember who helped him up. Maybe it was Santana or, or Ortiz, one of those two. And MJF is ran to the ring with a chair and they hold him up saying, go on, hit Cody. Cody's his mentor. He, he is like best friends with Cody. It's what MJF always says, that like he will always have Cody's back, that kind of thing. However, when they say, go on, hit him, MJF thinks about it. He doesn't do it immediately. He takes a moment, then he attacks. <laughs> he doesn't go after Cody. He uh, surprises everybody. Because, of course, his character is ultimate heel, like ultimate egotistical prick. And he then goes after Jericho's stable, uh, the inner circle, attacking all of those guys. And miming hitting the chair into the stomach. I don't know why I'm doing that. <laughs> so, yeah, MJF then turned on everybody and attacked them and... Yeah, it was after the, after that his like ego kicked back in and he was just gloating to the crowd like, "Yes, I know, I'm better than all of you. I'm great. Isn't that fantastic?" And so, so the stable just jumped him. <laughs> Quite a funny touch, but but the point was in terms of teasing and building and not striking on something. That was a sign of patience. WWE in the past have shown they have got patience. They did it with Chris Jericho. At, well, Chris Jericho come back again. Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens, where they teased the split months before they actually did it. And quite a few times when they got the crowd, it was an awesome moment where, like, do you know whose fault it is? Roman Reigns. <laughs> that bit was brilliant. So that was nice to see. So they have got, they have shown patience in the past, but for Kevin Owens, it was one week, poof, gone. The Fiend, for me, is falling into the exact same thing, where they've set it up at SummerSlam, and then at Hen in the Cell, they didn't have the patience not to do it. Where that was a, that was my thought. My immediate thought was he's still being built. He doesn't need to do this. He just basically needs to mow through the next victim, continue to build him up and make him feel dominant. But he's immediately in the main event. He's immediately going after your top guy, your main character of the show. They're immediately facing off. So yeah, either you're at the halfway point of the film or the end of it. Uh, I'd like to think it was halfway point given how it ended. But... Again, you still skipped a lot of ground. Which means if you don't have him win, you're in a bit of a grey area. And then you get to how he didn't win. <laughs> which is... Especially because it's Hell in a Cell where the whole point of it is it's got no rules and it's dangerous and it's barbaric and anything can happen. There are no limits to what you can do. Except for the past two years it suddenly has been after years of there not being... Uh, again, the Sledgehammer has got a precedent in Hell in a Cell, used multiple times, but in this on this occasion, with that specific button combination, <laughs> for some reason that's not allowed. It's not allowed to save his game after using the cheat codes. It's like, ugh, damn it, ugh. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm going to take a quick ad break so I can down a pint of water. Uh, when I come back, I'm going to talk about Monday Night Raw, and I'm going to talk about what WWE have done since, in terms of addressing The Fiend, or kind of what they uh, what they've done essentially since uh, so it's seen about five seconds or so time to have a lovely enjoy ads everyone Ten. that was one of my worst going through an ad breaks <laughs> I've been wanting a drink for like five ten minutes and I just lost patience. <laughs> it was just like, just just stutter away and then just cut your mic off. Just <laughs> have a drink. So, nice, fluid and professional me. Oh. Anyway, so, let's just kind of just... This half is going to be a lot, lot shorter. I've gone on like 50 minutes <laughs> talking about that first bit. 
Uh, maybe went into uh, the background a bit more than I was planning to, but uh, who cares? Just need to change something. There we go. Right, so what have WWE done since The Fiend? So this kind of has an effect on the aftermath, because I think I said before that WWE have become pretty good at making a huge mistake, and then the next week they'll do a pretty good job of fixing it, or kind of moving things on, or kind of putting the character in a way where it gets addressed to a point where where you can then go next is pretty good. They did that a lot with the Roman Reigns, uh, who attacked Roman Reigns storyline, where it was awful. Where I, I personally thought the beginning was, I can see what we're trying to do, but the execution was horrific. <laughs> and then it got silly, then it got to Roman 2.0, but then Rowan 2.0 led to Eric Rowan, and then Rowan cut an amazing promo. And from there on, it's kind of got better and better. Evidently, they entered a zone of making shit up as they went along. But it entered a good zone. It got there eventually. Like They corrected their path, and they have that's not the first time they've done that. See, maybe they fell onto it, but they adapted really, really well to Kofi Kingston you know, taking the place of Mustafa Ali and then gaining an incredible amount of steam, which lasted in a championship run that ran all the way to last Friday. So they've done pretty well at adapting. That's me just breezing past talking about Kofi and Lesnar. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I count him and The Fiend as the two characters just squished in a way. Uh, well, not squished, because of course The Fiend was put across as an unbeatable monster uh, to a, such a precedent where he's extremely overpowered. And, and, and he also lost a bit of his mystique. So, yeah, that's the other thing. Uh, but yeah, with, uh, with WWE, what did they do? I've, I've, I've forgotten my point. <laughs> Essentially, I've drifted off completely. The Kofi thing was much better than what I was talking about anyway. Uh, so what have they done since? I'm moving on. It's all... Yeah, it's all moved on. So, Monday Night Raw. I genuinely enjoyed Raw, in spite of not much happening. <laughs> in spite of not much happening, as it was a show sandwiched between two somewhat significant shows in Hell in a Cell and the WWE Draft on Friday, or the Draft starting on Friday. Uh, Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins to determine who gets the privilege to be uh, the privilege of the first draft pick. But does that mean that Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins are competing to be the first draft pick, or Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins are representing Vaughn SmackDown? Which then the next question becomes: Are they drafted, or is it their already, or is it their current draft states? I don't know. <laughs> My assumption is Seth Rollins is champion, and Roman Reigns is staying on SmackDown. So why not just go with it? So like, yeah, we've seen the new intro. Roman Reigns is on it, therefore we would assume <laughs> that he's staying there. Uh, Kofi's all over the Fox ad, uh, new Fox intro as well. So, yeah. I'm interested to see. <laughs> but it's going to be a good show tomorrow. The draft shows are always exciting to watch. It's kind of like the aftermath when you figure out the pieces where you start to then get a few questions. It's like, well, what does this mean and what does that mean? And then this year broke it. <laughs> it's just people moved and appeared on the show to then not have moved so it just became complicated and then wildcard let's not recap <laughs> let's just move on but Monday Night Raw I genuinely enjoyed it aside from the opening like that the Rusev Alana thing it's one of the things where I watch it and I go I think it's shite but I also understand I'm not the target audience for this I am I care more like it's easy, much easier to get invested in the wrestling side than I can the sports entertainment side for me, the sports entertainment side, 
that's the bit I find corny, or that's the bit I find like just not to be up there in terms of quality. It's a bit too silly for me. Uh, Lana and Bobby Lashley, for me, is right up there with shy. I don't enjoy. Like, it was something that was rife in the Attitude Era. Didn't like it back then. Like, <laughs> one thing to keep in mind is I, uh, as I was born in 92, I didn't watch the Attitude Era as it happened. I didn't start watching WWE until late 2005. Uh, I have gone back and watched a lot of stuff. Because like, in my childhood, uh, like, especially 2000 and 2000, well, 2002, uh, I guess the beginning of 2003, like wrestling was extremely prevalent. Those all, especially as a kid, it was almost impossible to not have other people talking about it, or other people not to have the video games, or to have it on in their house. Like the first pay per view, the first WWE show I ever saw was WrestleMania 17 because my friend had it on VHS, and he was like, "It's amazing," and he showed it me, and it was amazing, and it got me. It was one of the big points that got me into wrestling, and and the video games that kind of held me out, held me out until like late 2005 <laughs> when I properly. Uh, got a uh, vetting for the first time in my house. Point being, I didn't watch the Attitude Era live, so I don't have any nostalgia for it because I didn't watch it. I'm watching it like years after it's happened. Uh, sometimes a lot of it after the decade. Like this year, I decided for the first time to actually watch 1997 uh, WWE because I'd heard really good things. I just never watched like any of it outside of SummerSlam and WrestleMania and Royal Rumble. Like I said, I'd never watched a single Raw from it. I never watched any of the other pay-per-views, so I didn't really know much about it. Just watching the odd matches, and I know like the classics, like Hart and Steve Austin. So, yeah. <laughs> so I don't have any nostalgia for the Attitude Era. So the Bobby Lashley Lana thing is like, oh yeah, oh people always ask for the Attitude Era, and that's the, this is the kind of shit that was always rife in it. It's like, yeah, whenever I've gone back, I didn't like it then either. <laughs> so it's not really any. Yeah, I don't like it now. I didn't like it then, especially when I watched it in late 2006, which was... It was watching in 2005 slash 2006. There was a lot of trying to be Attitude Era, but either taking it too far or it just being weird and not quite working. Uh, obviously, we then ended up in PG like two years later, so it all fell away anyway. But yes, yeah, it's, it's very weird. It's not on my street at all. But I also understand I am not that target audience. I am... My like for me that I am a hundred percent the target audience for a company like AEW, who are like trying to be progressive. Who are when I say trying to be progressive, I mean, um, not in a corporate way. As in, yes, they're doing it as a company and they are pushing it, but it's like they generally want to include them rather than we'll include them if we think it will be to our benefit financially. As in, they'll do it well, rather whether it worked or not. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> I lost it there. I think it's a difference between Disney woke and actually woke. If, like my comparison, it's not quite. Doesn't it's not. I'm not. I'm not saying WWE are exactly that, but uh, I. That's the impression I more or less gets. Is it's a much more corporate woke with WWE, whilst with AW it feels more natural. Of it's just that is the thing of this generation coming up. That I am a part of as well. So I'm 100% the target audience for this sort of thing. Uh, not The a lot more inclusive products. Like, you're not going to get stuff like Bobby Lashley's sisters on AEW. You're just not. End of. <laughs> as in, that kind of shit pushed away one of our writers at Lots of Pain. And never had it, never had him back. Just gone forever. It's just, I've gone away from WWE. <laughs> like, the amount of writers we have lost over the years, but 
Bobby Lashley says, oh, I remember that point. Because not only did we lose uh, like one of the best writers I looked up to, you know, Layman uh, or Vince McCall, uh, not only did I look up to her, but I also looked up... Well, no, uh, like loads of other people also left, and Bobby Lashley's sisters even forced me to stop watching WWE for four months. And then I came back for like at the end of August for SummerSlam just to give it like another chance, another go. You're not going to get shit like that where you get the joke is that the man is a woman, but we know they're not. It's like, that's not going to happen in AEW. It's just very blind to what the social world is becoming in a way, or the, so what the socially, what social acceptance is becoming. And WWE seems a product of its era. So yes, you know, like a plant can stretch out its branches and move into like different things and take on different things, but it can't really unroot itself <laughs> and move entirely. So like WWE, they can stretch out, they can appeal more, they can do the women's revolution, they can push like the more modern day indie style of wrestling via NXT or via their own TV shows or pushing someone like Seth Rollins. Uh, however, it's still got to appeal to those people who were fans of the Attitude Era and I feel like Bobby Lashley Lana is 100% that sort of thing. Where AEW has a major advantage to me in terms of the stuff that I like. They don't, they don't have to appeal to that audience. The 50 plus demographic might have watched the first episode of AEW. However, I can pretty much say it's 100% not targeted at them. It's the kind of wrestling that the, uh, that, yeah, the young books and the elite want to put on. And they're mostly in their mid-30s. And they're like a decade older than me. I'm in my like just past my mid twenties, and I when I heard on NWA just saying uh, uh, in other places you've got boys running around, and I'm like, those boys are a decade older than me. <laughs> what does that make me? <laughs> they're boys. I must be a baby. <laughs> but yeah, maybe NWA isn't targeted at me as it's kind of rebrand, uh, relaunching for a new age, the kind of like seventies slash eighties style of wrestling. Uh, and the studio style, which is like, yeah, I obviously won't, I don't have nostalgia for the Attitude Era, never mind <laughs> that style of studio wrestling. Um, I did watch End of Grey Power, did kind of enjoy it, I'm drifting from my point. <laughs> so yeah, Monday Night Raw, enjoyed most of it, didn't enjoy the beginning, and for some reason I've given you a massive backstory on me, so uh, you know more about me now. <laughs> so there's that. Um, but yeah, so I enjoyed the rest of it, like those really good matches. The important part is the only time Seth Rollins, the only two times Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt ever appeared, like either of them. The first time was Seth Rollins happened to be in the ring when the Rusev and Bobby Lashley Lana angle played out. So he was in the opening package for a split second. <laughs> that was it. We didn't see either of them again. Neither of them were really mentioned until they played the video package later on recapping the match. And they did it like two hours into the show, so or even more than that, to a point of, well, if the crowd are going to boo this, they're already tired by this point, having watched main event and then having watched two hours. They're three hours in, this live crowd. Are they going to have the energy to boo this to the um, amount they would like to? I would like to think not. <laughs> so when it's later on, also when you're playing a video package, you can just mute the crowd, because you don't need... This isn't the type of thing where you would hear the crowd in the background, or even expecting. So, not the end of the world. But yeah, so, that was really the only time they were mentioned. Didn't Even in any of the... We didn't really get any Team Flair, Team Hogan stuff, really. Because that was how they kicked off the show, and it was more about Lashley and Lana, which... Bobby Lashley 100% getting added to uh, Team Flair. So, I'm not, I'm not even going to watch Saudi Arabia. <laughs> oh, 
I've like booked guests specifically so I don't have to talk about the show. I can make, might even still be on whilst that show's still airing. So, hooray! Hit pick away. <laughs> but yes, enjoyed Raw. Didn't like the start really, but they didn't really mention Seth Rollins and the Fiend, which is the important part of me bringing up Raw and going on a massive tangent. However, they did address stuff. So they've got this new show, WWE, which is called The Bump, or, which is like a, I think it's daily, or at least it's weekly, or it's often that it happens. <laughs> a show on YouTube where it's hosted by Hey Kayla and People. I don't know who the others are. And uh, they, are, they talk about stuff that's happened in WWE, so obviously they're talking about Hell in a Cell, and they do it in a ki- semi-candid, semi-kayfabe. It's really weird. Like, the prime example was they brought up... They showed X-Pac's reaction, which, if you didn't see that, with the watch-along, X-Pac was like, well, if you might not have me on again, but how in the hell does Hell in a Cell end in a DQ? Like, how? So they played that, and then they talked about it. However, they then brought on the referee, who... Like, the referee called for the bell, and he explained why that he, why he called for the bell, saying... He explained his actions, saying that he was concerned for the safety of the competitors, and after he spun that, he was like, I have no choice, I've lost control of this, I'm going to ring the bell. Um, first point, I am perfectly fine with WWE. I, I like the idea of WWE having this outlet where they kind of they don't just brush away the Hell in a Cell ending and pretend it never happened, just wait a week and then move on to the Saudi Arabia build. Like Maybe they do that with Seth Rollins, I prefer if he sold it to a point of we don't even see him next week. As in, it was a very violent attack at the end of the show and all because the fans didn't like it, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. So you're like, you, you've told this story, continue to tell it. Well, I've just realised, no, Seth Vaughan is in the match against Roman Reigns and he's going to come out smiling, perfectly fine. You have a back, good back and forth match. So I've realised that that is not being sold. <laughs> so, ow. So that'll work as our buffer. Oh, that's irritating me now, I've just realised that. <laughs> a very, very vicious attack. And I was joking, uh, either on Twitter or to myself whilst I was watching Raw. I know it be when I was writing my column. I was joking that, oh yeah, Seth Rollins all... It would, I expect him to just turn up on Raw as if there's nothing, just move on to uh, the Saudi Arabia stuff. But now I've just realised, oh yeah, they announced before I went live that they're doing this, as I've just... Hopefully nobody heard my headphones get pulled out twice. <laughs> Hurt my ear. Uh, yeah, so hopefully they don't... Oh, I was joking when I said that. That's really miffed me. <laughs> oh, that means they're not selling it and immediately moving to the draft. And Friday works as a reset. I don't know how I feel about that. As in, does everything get dropped? Or do just most... Obviously, like, this Bobby Lashley-Lana thing, that's not getting dropped. But, like, and stuff building for Saudi Arabia. But Saudi Arabia is in its own bubble. And I don't like the television in this period. Mostly because I'm not going to watch the show. But also a lot of the creative building into Saudi Arabia just doesn't fit with anything that's happening around it. And it just interferes with stuff. Oh, it's weird. Yeah. Isn't that, in terms of like actual interfering with the momentum of the products and anything and the stories and the characters in the world happening around it, it it just interferes and it takes up programming time with something that ultimately doesn't really matter for for any of the angles building around WWE outside of these months. So, yeah, it's a big advert for me of do not watch this show for these two select months a year because they'll build to a show I'm not going to watch and then after that show, all of the angles are dropped and we move on. So, well, what's the point? <laughs> I know I am not the target audience for this, 
But that's but the fact that it interferes with the television and pushes stuff to the side, it's like ah, at least I've got the women. At least they can build up stuff still. I'll moan about it when it gets closer to the show. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that there. But yeah, so on the bump, the referee came. Why was I talking about? <laughs> oh yeah, that I drifted from re- the realizing Seth Rollins thing, and it broke me. So I needed a minute to talk about something else entirely. Uh, so the referee explained that he was concerned for the safety of the competitors, and that's like mainly the reason they call for the bell. And uh, some of the other people, uh, the, well, the people who aren't Hey Kayla, <laughs> I, I don't know who they are. I do apologise uh, if there's a small coincidence they are listening. Which, again, small coincidence, because they probably shouldn't be. <laughs> but yeah, so with... Um, then people say, well, it's 2019, like, what do you expect him to do? It's like, but, that is the entire point of Hell in a Cell. And if if your like, reasoning for it is, oh, it's 2019, what are you expecting him to do? So, well, then, what is the point of Hell in a Cell? Surely Hell in a Cell's lost its purpose, then, if you can't... If you can have disqualifications, just, you can have just no DQ matches... Like, yes, Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks was innovative, but they're really good. They didn't need the cell to be innovative. And if you're telling me that there is a line which can be crossed inside Hell in a Cell when there wasn't before because it's 2019, like, you, we can't do that. Like, we, it's 20, like, 2019, you can't be that violent anymore. Well, that's the point of Hell in a Cell. And obviously, the booking so far, until last year, was the first time we had a DQ. The fact there have been two DQs in a row. <laughs> that's the other thing. It's like, oh. Like this, this ending was not good because it was Hell in a Cell. Especially, it's not an issue if it's not inside Hell in a Cell, obviously. But ending that in a DQ, it doesn't matter how you phrase it or whatever. It's still pretty bad. That said, in terms of WWE not brushing it under the rug as if it never happened, and with them actually trying to give in-universe reasons for it happening. Um, I've praised w, uh, AEW for putting things on the referee where decisions weren't made or decisions were made. And I guess I can... It's similar it's similar for this one, where they've got the referee on, he's explained why he did it in kayfabe, in the world. Uh, the issue is the next bit. So I was perfectly... I wasn't happy with it. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. But I was fine with what they did with getting the referee on. It wasn't the worst idea in the world to do that. But the next bit wasn't the best. So I've praised what they did on the bump, and now I have to criticise something they did on the bump, which was they were talking about the fans, and then they started ripping into the fans for booing. And like my number one thing is, especially when you're in, in competition, and the fans were clearly pissed off, the worst thing you can... Not the worst thing, but like something that's extremely not recommended is to blame the fans for not liking it. Like it's not the fans' fault they didn't like it. It's if if they do not like the like creative direction or they got invested in this character to see something end in a bullshit finish, they're not booing Bray Wyatt. They're not booing Seth Rollins. They're not booing the referee. They're not booing anyone or the, in the commentators or whatever. They're booing the creative process. Be that Vince McMahon or be that whoever wrote this. Obviously, you've got Vince McMahon gets the final say. Apparently, it was also how he envisioned it. They're not booing the people in the ring. And this is where the kind of complicated thing with the bump kind of comes in as well. Yes, they started ripping into the crowd. I didn't feel it was as direct as it was Lafayette. But the fact that they did start ripping into the crowd, that for me was... A, after a step in a somewhat right direction, they just undid it by stepping in the wrong direction again. <laughs> and when 
and when they, I guess, when your fans or your viewers or whatever are so united that this was a bad idea, if you then start taking the piss out of the fans for booing it, then, yeah, it, all it takes is one thing like that to just completely undo the good you just did. And for me, that's what happened on the bump. They did something good, then they undid it. It's just like, oh, you did something good with the referee, and then with the rubbing into the crowd, like, why? Because be, most because most of your viewers are united on this. <laughs> that this was a bad creative idea. It did what well, it didn't work. The match was already they're already turning on the match, and then it ended in DQ for the second year in a row. And then you have the referee come on. And yes, I may not agree, may not really take what the referee said and be fine with it. But they had him come out and say something, and that I am that I liked. But the idea of like the actual words he said, <laughs> it's like yeah, inside Hell in a Cell, like isn't that the point that it's not safe <laughs> and. Uh, this very weapon has been used in much more in just as just as violent manners in the past inside Hell in a Cell. Yet suddenly now you're not able to. And of course the point uh, Brian Alvarez uh, was making, or not? No, the other guy made it, but Brian Alvarez fell off his chair laughing. Because <laughs> and I kind of agreed. I don't always agree with Brian Alvarez, but this one I hundred <laughs> percent. It was just like yeah, the big mallet, the big fuck off mallet was fine, but the little sledgehammer. <laughs> whoa, whoa, no, <laughs> that's a step too far, Wallace. <laughs> no, no, no. Just like yeah, that was, uh, yeah, not. It, it's weird. It doesn't. There's a lot of issues I've got with that. But ripping into the crowd, no. Like Lafayette, it was interesting because everybody on Twitter seemed to pick up the fact that the show wasn't particularly awful, but the Lafayette crowd was just dead. This one is extremely different. You cannot tread that ground where everyone is united that it was bad. So, yeah, I didn't particularly in like that that much. However, there was no mention of The Fiend on television. This was on the bump on YouTube, so really only the hardcore fans or... Uh, I guess people who are subscribed to WWE on YouTube will watch that. So it's not like... It's, I don't know how canon that show is. Because that was the other point. When they ripped into the crowd, it was essentially presenters who are in the kayfabe world trying to find a reason why the crowd, who aren't in the kayfabe world, were booing when the referee called for the bell. And I think you got a massive kind of clash there of, well, the reason they're booing is they didn't like the creative decision. But if you're living in the kayfabe world and that happens, then obviously it makes sense to bring on the referee and it's like they were booing after he made that decision. Obviously they were angry at the decision. <laughs> and then they ripped into the crowd for continuing to boo. And it's uh, it's quite... It's an interesting one. <laughs> it's that clash of the kayfabe presenters trying to explain why a reaction that is not in their kayfabe world happened on their show and making it canon, making it kayfabe. Yeah, it... It's a weird one, but it wasn't the right step to take. Uh, the referee, I'm perfectly fine with that, with him coming on. Because that is a sign that they're not just going to ignore this massive story point, which, yes, it was seen as a massive misstep by loads of people, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Like If it happened in the universe, you've got to acknowledge it. You can't just pretend it never happened and move on. So, thumbs up to WWE for that. It's like a basic thing, but I guess thumbs up for it. The question now becomes, moving on, to kind of bring this podcast to an end because I want to go to bed. I've got to watch NXT tomorrow and write about it for the column. With this draft happening tomorrow, again, why such a long dramatic pause? <laughs> With the draft tomorrow, is it a proper reset as in all arcs, storylines, or majority of arcs and storylines will get completely redone and then you start from scratch with like the week after, like not this Friday, Friday after. Some things can get started maybe this Friday. 
but it's seen as a huge reset. Like Corey Graves was saying on Twitter, like, oh, wouldn't it be lucky if there was like a, just happened to be a reset? Or wouldn't that maybe there's a reason we're having a reset? It's like, yeah, look at WWE over the summer. <laughs> That's probably one of the big reasons why. But yeah, so they can. The fiend is not broken. I was extremely pessimistic on Sunday, even on Monday when I was talking to people afterwards. I was extremely pessimistic. Like I was like, the mystique's completely gone. The character's broken. This is it. Like, like yeah, well, yeah. You may not be able to pin him, but you can keep him down for a really long time. And that was like one of my other big gripes of the match. And I was like, yeah, if you switch the roles, Seth Rollins being down for ages after being attacked by the fiend doesn't seem too bad. But the fiend staying down for ages after being attacked by Rollins. Like, for me, that destroys the mystique unless you... And it feels like it'll be added in post. Like, it feels like another WWE doing a decent correction if they have Bray Wyatt and then saying he was laying coy the entire time, The Fiend, to bring Seth Rollins to that darkness. That doesn't feel like what I saw in the match. That feels like a correction to explain what happened in the match. Which is the loop WWE are stuck in. It's like, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to be able to correct to a pretty decent degree like that. The issue is they are constantly doing it. <laughs> not with everything, but most weeks there is a correction, there is a change, there is somebody put onto a different path because they've mucked something up so badly they need to switch it. Or it just wasn't working and they switch it. So, yeah. It was not great. <laughs> There's a lot of issues I've got with uh, that Hanning and Zell match. Uh, didn't hate all of it, especially like... So, yeah, the point was with The Fiend, uh, for example, when I was saying that he... I was really pessimistic on Monday, really down on everything, just like, they've broken him, he's gone. But after a few days, and after the uh, video came out, uh, which I saw on Tuesday, of The Fiend attacking after the show went dark, and then he came out, and I think he attacked Cesaro, and and the crowd still popped for it, because he's still an amazing character, and he's still got such depth to him, and it's such a mis- mystique kind of still is there but I I kind of agree a little bit of how I was feeling on Monday where I was just like he may build the mystique back but he will never be what it was and that's kind of how I'm I, I do think that's correct like Hell in a Cell didn't destroy the Fiend but it did break his mystique to a point and he may reach popular levels but I don't think he will be the hottest act in wrestling if he is, it'll be after months of work again. As in, they've set themselves back. They did months and months of work, and now they've gone back at least a month or two. And they've got to redo it, rebuild him. And they can do that, because there is a reset. You can draft him to SmackDown and just build him again, essentially. But the fact is, they have to rebuild him again, because they broke him. Even if they just do minor things and build up to a pay-per-view, and there's a lesser match, yeah. But you're still having to build him again, because of what he did. And they shouldn't have to, essentially. <laughs> Again, which is why my kind of final point, my final, my final thinking on it is, does he, with The Fiend, just don't book the match. That is my, that the match shouldn't have happened, is my final view on it. He should not have been in that match with Seth Rollins, then you've got no issues. If he is in a match with Seth Rollins, it's not for the title, therefore it doesn't matter that you don't want The Fiend to be champion, because even if he wins, he isn't. And that's, that's if you have to do that match. Which, again, don't really believe you have to do that as Bray Wyatt's second match. Because that's a, that's one of the uh, things he thought brought up online. It's like, oh, WWE put themselves into a corner and they don't want to make Bray Wyatt champion, so what do you think we're going to do? 
So if you don't want to make Bray Wyatt champion, who is a white hot act, and lots of people have become extremely invested in his character, and he's treated as like the hottest thing in wrestling, and you put him in a title match inside Hell in a Cell with a character like that, and you don't want to make him champion, why are you doing the match? <laughs> Just don't do the match. <laughs> it feels short-sighted. It feels like this will draw. This will be a spectacle, which 100% was a spectacle. But, yeah, not thought past that. And it had an extreme... That's when I saw people saying extreme WCW feel from they're talking about the late era of it, which I've not watched a lot of. But when I, what I have seen of it, by that, the, only, the biggest comparison I can see is more... They've booked something which they thought would be exciting and cool, but they've not actually thought how the match is going to go down. And when the match happens, it's like, uh, because I don't want a certain person to win or whatever. It's like, oh, it's a bit, uh. So that's my feeling on The Fiend. He shouldn't have been in the match. And that's kind of it. It's not, oh, WWE backed themselves into a corner uh, and they didn't want to make him champion. So, don't want to make him champion. What do you expect to happen? Don't put him in the match. (laughs) That's that's why I took it back to Clash of Champions. Like, that's when the mistake was made for me. He shouldn't be in this match. It's his second match, which that's another point. Like, it's his second match. Do you you really think he should be champion? No, I agree with you. (laughs) Therefore, that's why I think he shouldn't have been put in the match. (laughs) It's very simple. Uh, But with the draft on Friday, how hard a reset is it? And they can use the reset to kind of sidestep the issue of having to build him again because you're having to establish a lot of people to a much bigger audience. You can do that with The Fiend and it'll fit in quite seamlessly. Um, Yes, it's a sad issue they have to be building, but it might not stand out that much. So they've got that to do a huge benefit. Especially if if he does get drafted to Friday Night Smackdown then that is a completely kind of new thing as he's shown up on Friday now and then, but really he's been, his main features have happened on Raw. So that's kind of, that's nice. <laughs> it'll feel like a reset and it'll feel like he like a new fresh home for him for this hot character. But I don't think it'll be what it was, where it's like astronomical. It's He's been stained. You, you still like the t-shirt, you still wear the t-shirt, but it has got a stain on it and you know it's there. <laughs> so it does hinder it a little bit. Uh, time heals all wounds though. So if they do do a decent build for a little while, then we might forget about it and be happy and move on to the next thing. But this was a, it was a major misstep. And yeah, I'm happy they addressed it a little bit. They maybe should have stopped before they started going off on the live fans. Just a personal opinion on that one. But yeah, the days later, it's only gotten worse. <laughs> the idea, it's not gotten better. It was still a horrific decision. It destroyed the mystique of the fiend. It destroyed the mystique of the hell in a cell. Because what's the point of hell in a cell? Oh, what's the point of hell in a cell if there is a, a line that can be crossed? Because the whole point of hell in a cell was there wasn't a line. Like Shane McMahon can jump from the top. Because um, oh, the example they brought up on the bump was mankind being thrown off the top. It's like it was 2019. You can't do that. And my immediate thought was, but Shane McMahon has jumped off twice in the last three years. <laughs> so does that not count? Uh, and it's because he jumped off rather than being thrown off. And does the sledgehammer not count now when it did count ten years ago? As in, that's the step too far. But the big mallet's fine because that's cartoony, even though it's no, like it's a bigger version of a sledgehammer essentially. <laughs> that's yeah, you know, yeah, it's. It was a broken match in a way which, for me, shouldn't have been booked, even though it was a massive spectacle. Like The biggest thing for The Fiend is he's got Undertaker's thing. If Undertaker has a bad feud, 
it doesn't always matter because his entrance is so amazing. And Fiend's entrance is not short either. Like, you really get to soak it in as long as the commentators shut up. <laughs> uh, that's my one thing here. Like, the production of Bray Wyatt, or The Fiend's entrance, is so good that when they started talking over it on at Hand in a Cell, I was just like, oh, no. What are you doing? Like, he's doing the close-up of the mask and Jerry Lawler's like, oh, wait, look at that. You're like, do you see that? Oh, I was like, yes. I do see the mask. That's the that's the object of this extreme close-up. <laughs> yes, I do happen to see uh, the shot, uh, Jerry. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's just like, oh, just stop talking over it. Let people soak it in. Don't overproduce. That's that's uh, one of the things uh, WWE is they do oftentimes overproduce. And as somebody who spots that thing, that's not an issue for I'd assume most people <laughs> to look at the production things and get annoyed by little bits and things that happen. Uh, but for me, where I do I am somebody who notices that sort of thing, and when there's something off with production, it grains, it irritates me. And for me, when I'm meant to be soaking in the atmosphere, so yeah, you may have noticed there's one thing about the match I didn't talk about in the red lighting. That's because I'm all for making the Bray Wyatt matches feel like they are you like you have entered the Silent Hill of the Fiends, this other limbo world where it's like our world but not quite. And Seth going to that violent level for me fit when he was essentially in this limbo world. However, uh, I can understand how that specific lighting people might have struggled to see. Especially if you know anything about colour blindness. Like, the the shade they used is like one of the most common <laughs> shade. Dark, like that, that red kind of colour. Yeah, a lot. Of, there are quite a lot of people in this world who, who just would, it would look really weird to them. Or they might not be able to see anything. Uh, people in the live crowd, I don't know what it was like. Because I wouldn't say... I think I said this on Aftershock. Don't judge what you were able to see on the camera for what they could see in the arena. Because your lies take... Your lies. Your eyes take in a completely different amount of light than cameras do. So you, they're not comparable. Just... Uh, <laughs> I did... Uh, film, oh, somebody's not listened to me before. I did film production at university. Your eyes do not take in the same amount of light as a camera. You can open stuff <laughs> to make the camera take in more light, but it still won't be the same amount that your eyes take in. So you can't really judge it compared to like there being live, and everybody will see it differently. <laughs> Just make it more confusing. <laughs> as I was saying with colourblind people, like you've got different levels of colourblindness, but I know that, that red colour is one of the most common. So you would have been a lot of people with that issue. Even if you didn't, don't know you're colourblind, you might struggle to see with that lighting uh, the one thing I do agree with is they got the red cell out and then put the lights on red so they might as well have just had a normal cell <laughs> it's just like yeah that's a, that's a good point that one like you can't t- there's no like, you can't tell it's red because everything's red <laughs> so yeah but I, I didn't mind it I was fine with it like, I wouldn't do it for all Bray White's matches like, I was perfectly yes it when you, the proper lighting comes up and it's a full WWE production and then you see the fiend and it's this scary thing, but he's fully lit and he's awesome. That's that's more of an issue you have when you have such high Hollywood production as WWE and there's very little grit. Like, when you have a character like this, he's, he doesn't feel quite right because there is no grit. And it's per- like everything is perfectly lit. And, of course, the monster is a hell of a lot less scary if he's perfectly lit. I saw people compare it to Sin Cara. That's just a, another guy who had, like, dark lighting. For me, this wasn't Sin Cara at all. Like, I didn't make any of those comparisons. And the fact people were making that, I was like, I feel like points are being missed here. <laughs> this isn't done for, like, 
the Sin Cara lights were done for a reason. For this here, it felt like it is more to try and find a way to add horror to it. As I said, entering the Sonic Hill of the Fiend, when the whole WWE full lights production was on, it, uh, with against Finn Balor, yeah, in terms of horror, in terms of the monster, it is a hell of a lot scary when you can clearly see everything. With the red lighting, you can clearly see everything, so yeah. Anyway, I'm reaching an hour and a half into the show, so I am going to end it. But final note, will Friday be a reset or not? We'll know within 24 hours, very likely. Because it's currently at half past one in the morning for me. So we'll know very shortly. Is it a complete reset or is it a semi-reset kind of thing? We don't know. And if it's a full reset, that will really help The Fiend. If he gets drafted to SmackDown, I reckon that will really help The Fiend. Uh, there, There are lots of other things. But... Yeah, I'm a bit sad that Seth Rollins is probably not going to be selling anything on Friday, uh, come tomorrow, and come Monday, straight into Saudi Arabia. So this Friday reset, is that, that's what I mean by, would it be a full reset or semi-reset? Because people are getting excited for Rollins versus uh, Reigns, I don't know why I forgot his name. Uh, the people are getting excited for that, and I'm just sat there like, but is he going to be selling Sunday or not? Or, because this is a reset, is it just dropped like it never happened? And I'm just like... Well, I know this didn't work for WCW, but here we go. <laughs> that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm still so excited about the wrestling world. This was a huge misstep. I was extremely just broken on Sunday. And Monday, I wasn't much better. When I started Raw and then it started off with the Lashley-Rusev stuff, I was like, I'm dreading this. Uh, then I really loved it. I enjoyed it. It was nothing amazing, but for what I needed to kind of... like An anecdote for WWE... It's like, yeah, I needed a show like that where it was just solidly sending out wrestlers to do wrestling things as the show between the shows where they couldn't really build anything that much so they just put out wrestling matches to fill the time and for me, that was the perfect show I needed and now I'm ready for Friday. So yeah, and AEW for me is nailing everything I'd want. I've got very little criticism with AEW and the ones I did have almost all been improved upon on week two. Which is, for me, mind-boggling. <laughs> like I had, I had points from week one. Then watching week two, so many of them were addressed. It's kind of like, oh, well, I guess I can move on to like the next things then. <laughs> that's that's weird. I just, I'm so used to WWE where those issues you have with them don't really go away. Or they manifest or something. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, but that brings me to the end of the show. Thank you for la- listening to me ramble all about this. Now, what do you think of uh, Hell in Cell now? It's a few days later. Do you still think it's absolutely awful? Or have you kind of not softened on it a bit? Uh, for me, it's still... It's not distru- I've changed from this is broken Bray, uh, Bray Wyatt and The Fiend has no longer done it too. It's just removed a fair bit of his mystique, which is a massive shame. And they're going to have to rebuild some mystique. But with a reset happening, it's probably not going to feel out of place. It's not too bad. It's just this will go down as a massive creative mishap. And Seth Rollins might be the biggest victim of this. As in, I don't know how long it's going to take for the crowds to cheer Seth Rollins again. It could be much quicker than I'm expecting, or this could have broken it. I don't know which one it's going to be. <laughs> this was not the first Seth Rollins main event that fans turned on. Not the first. <laughs> which is not a great track record. Uh, anyway, I'll be back next Thursday in NAP Radio. As I said earlier, I'll be doing a New Japan show. Uh, I am going to be having a guest on. For I'll be going for I'll be recording the show and 
it'll be airing, but I'll be recording it the day after King of Pro Wrestling on Tuesday, and then it'll be going up. So I won't be live, but I will set it to go live at midnight. So it'll be, it will be there for you to listen to in its full order. But yeah, so I'm pre-recording that the day after King of Pro Wrestling for a break from American wrestling. After the G1 Climax, I need a break from New Japan, and I jump into US wrestling. Just over a month or two later, I'm already sick and need a break. <laughs> I'll still be doing my column, I'll still be watching anything, but there's like no pressure to watch everything for Thursday, which is great. Because like this week, I just wasn't able to watch four hours of wrestling and write about it. So I watched AW, and that was it. And then watch NXT tomorrow when I get back. So, hooray. Uh, anyway, follow me on Twitter at the TheDumbImpicat. Please do read my column. Lots of work goes into it. I'm really happy with the Photoshop I've done with this one. <laughs> uh, I was having a jokey, jokey chat with uh, at Do It Flare on, and yeah, the joke, the joke kind of went into uh, the draft and how they should jokely do the draft, and I made a suggestion of they should get the Harry Potter wizard hat and do that. <laughs> it's like I'm a, you're a raw superstar, Harry. <laughs> so I've done it. <laughs> I put a wizard hat on Ricochet, pulling a f- scared, funny face. <laughs> And it's got your raw superstar having. Oh, I'm really proud of it. <laughs> uh, so uh, please do look out for that on uh, Saturday with the amazing, in quotation marks, uh, Photoshop skills or imp, <laughs> which will be going up uh, on Saturday. But here on Lots of Pain Radio, please do check out all of the other shows. Uh, tomorrow is the right side of the pond with uh, Maz, Plan and Mazza. Saturdays is reserved for uh, All About All Elite shows, be it when All About All Elite returns or when AW Aftershock happens with Full Gear, which will be November. That'll be me and Janman, so that'll be fun. Uh, Sundays is reserved for WWE pay-per-views and specials whenever we do them. The issue is getting everyone together, which is not easy when it's America and Britain. And, yeah, it's, it's not the easiest thing to organise. Uh, Mondays is Kingdom of Honour with Janman and his friend Jeff, talking about Ring of Honour and New Japan and all of that stuff. Uh, Tuesdays is a global revolution with the wider wrestling world. Uh, Wednesdays is Plan's new seed. <laughs> it doesn't sound much better. <laughs> uh, but yeah, sports entertainment is dead uh, with its brand new format where the, the with uh, guest Maverick talking uh, about wrestling stuff. Uh, I've not got around to listening to it, so uh, I don't know how to plug it yet. <laughs> but yes, that'll be... Uh, that's already debuted this week, so if you want to check out the brand new show, uh, please do that. And also on Wednesdays, our live immediately after AEW... Uh, Lots of Pain Radio's new AEW post-show, Dynamite After Dark, with Kingdom of Honours, Jamman and Jeff, immediately talking after the show. So, yes, <laughs> tune into that immediately after. It's, it's, it's going to be there every week. And, of course, on Thursday you got me. Hooray! <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to me, listening to me ramble whilst my mouth shuts down. It's not happening. It's not good. Uh, I will be back next Thursday. Follow me on Twitter, Damien Cat for the third time. With that, I bid you adieu. You can tell I'm, a, I'm energy broken tonight rather than mentally, <laughs> which I think is better. Uh, any, anyway, with that, I bid you adieu. Adios. Ten.